Our epistle reading is from Paul's first letter to the Christians in Corinth, the sixth chapter, as we hear God's calling upon our lives and the cost he paid to make us his own. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were brought, bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. This is the word of the Lord. If you could go back in time and, and live in, in Bible times, would you do it? If you could go back and live in, in the time of Scripture, would you, would you do that? Of course, there would be some trade-offs. You'd, you'd give some of the, away some of the things that, that we really value about our lives today, but you would be living in a time in which God speaks a little bit more directly to His people. Sometimes as I read through Scripture, I can't help but think this would be a lot easier to know and to understand if I lived in a time in which God spoke a little bit more directly to His people. And it's not that the Scripture is the problem, it's just me. It's my own shortcomings, my own limited understanding. But sometimes I'm reading in Scripture and I'm thinking, not only do I not know what this means for my life today, I don't know what this means as an English sentence, especially sometimes when you get into the New Testament with Paul. His wording is, is uh, it's difficult to take in sometimes. Now, again, the problem is not the Scripture. The problem is me and my limited understanding. And so I think it would just be nice. It'd be nice to live in Bible times. It'd be nice if God just appeared in a burning bush so we could just have a conversation about what we're supposed to be doing. It would be nice if God would send an angel who would just tell me what I'm supposed to do? It would be nice maybe even if God just, maybe it doesn't have to be me. Maybe God could just send a prophet, and then that prophet could come to me and give me the word of the Lord. So that way I can know what it is I'm supposed to be doing with my life on a day-to-day -day basis. Now, if you're like me, needing to be shown or reminded about all the ways that Christ does in fact still move and, and act and speak at this present time, then you are in the right place. Because here today, we're going to be starting a, a couple of weeks series in which we, we uh, look at all different ways that God still is active, that God still is speaking, speaking into our lives here at this present time. Today, we look into our, our epistle reading from 1 Corinthians. This is a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. Corinth was a church that was very dear to Paul's heart because Paul himself had established that church there. Paul spent some time in Corinth establishing the church, and as things got situated and as Paul felt good about it, he went on 
to the next, next place. He went on to the city of Ephesus, where we get the book of Ephesians. As Paul is off in Ephesus doing the same thing there that he did in Corinth, he starts to hear some reports about some issues that the church back in Corinth is having. And so Paul writes a letter to them to, uh, to correct some of their teachings and to give them some encouragement. That letter that Paul writes is what we now refer to as 1 Corinthians. And then he later writes another one that we call 2 Corinthians. Now, of all the biblical cities, all of the New Testament churches, I think that Corinth might be the one that's easiest for us to relate to today, here in the 21st century. Because we are a, a time in which everything is connected. With the, uh, with the internet, with, with everything that we have with social media, it's not hard at all to know what's happening on you know, the other side of the world or in this corner of the world or in that corner of the world. We're very connected uh, society now. And Corinth was similar, obviously not to the extent that we are today, but Corinth was a port city, meaning that there were a lot of people coming in and out of the city. All of these people are bringing different uh, thoughts, different ideas, and different practices. And over time, what happens is that these different practices and thoughts and ideas, they begin to ever so slightly just creep their way into the practices of the church. Now, that means that Corinth had a lot of issues. You name it, Corinth struggled with it. Divisions in the church, yep, they had that. Snobbery and classism, check, they had that. Issues with how they practiced the Lord's Supper, you betcha, they had that one big time. Now, of all of these problems, the one that we focus our time on this morning is their use of Christian freedom. Now, being here in America, we have a very solid understanding of what freedom is. It's the thing that our whole nation was established on. Essentially, we have the ability to choose. There are things that we don't want to do, so we don't do those things. There are things that we do want to do, so we do those things. We get to choose. Christian freedom is no different. As believers in Christ, there are things that we get to say, we want to do those things, so we do them. There are things in which we say, I don't want to do those things, so we don't do those things. Now, this, this question of Christian freedom, it's often posed in terms of this, this title of, of free will. Right, our ability to choose. Uh, once a month, I teach religion in our fourth grade class. And every single year, without fail, the same question comes up at, at one point or another. And that question is always something along the lines of, hey, Pastor Sam, when Adam and Eve were about to eat the fruit and bring sin into the world, why didn't God just stop them? Why didn't God just take away their ability to bring sin into the world? And to that, I always ask the same question back to that student. I say, okay, that's a great question, but let me ask you, who's your best friend? And then they tell me who their best friend is. It's somebody in the classroom, or it's somebody on their baseball team, or someone they go to gymnastics with, whatever it is. And they, I let them tell me a little bit about that person, and then I say, no, that's not your best friend anymore. I'm your best friend. And then I go on and I, I highlight for them all the things that they loved about doing with their best friend. Now they're going to do those things with me. When you are picking your seat in the classroom, you're going to sit right next to Pastor Sam. When you go to cafeteria for lunch, you're going to sit right next to Pastor Sam. When you go out to recess and you're playing your game, you're going to play your game with, guess who? Pastor Sam. Right? And everything that you did with your best friend, 
no more. You're going to do it with me because I'm your new best friend. And of course, at this, as a fourth grader, their jaw just always is on the floor because it's such a weird and silly story to be telling them. But then we talk about it and we, you know, we discuss like, you know, you're, you have the, the ability to choose who your best friend is. And the fact that you and your best friend choose to be best friends, that choice is what gives your relationship and your friendship meaning. If you are forced to be best friends with me, we're not really best friends. There's no meaning in that relationship. And so we talk about how our free will gives us the ability to try to align our own will with the will of Christ. And when we do that, that gives meaning to our relationship. And that's not just a one-way street from from us to Jesus. That's a two-way street, more so from Jesus to us, where he comes to us and he dies for us, and he calls us his chosen people. And so we have this Christian freedom. We have the ability to choose. And one of the great problems with Corinth was that they leaned into this freedom too much. In their context as a melting pot, they had no issue adopting certain practices into their church. They said, oh, that looks like a fun thing, or that looks like a good idea, or that looks like it works over there. Let's go ahead and and bring that into our own church. And they did it under this idea that if they got called out on it, or if they were to find out that it was wrong, they could always just go back and ask for Jesus' forgiveness. No big deal, bada-bing, bada-boom, forgiven, move forward. Essentially, they were using the forgiveness of God as a get-out-of-jail-free card. We've all played that game Monopoly, right? And you hope that when you get one of those cards and you pick it up and you look at it, you hope it's the get-out-of-jail-free card. So that way, you get to just present that and you get out of jail free, no questions asked. That's how the Corinthians uh, were using the forgiveness of Christ. And, excuse me, and having this very poor understanding of Christian freedom, the church in Corinth, they didn't always live as God's people. They didn't value their own being as much as Christ did. They were often very reckless with their ways because they knew, worst case scenario, we go and we ask for forgiveness, and we're all set. Now, to take a little bit of a turn here for a second, but stay with me, I, I think I was probably about 16 or 17 years old when I got my first iPhone. And this was a really big deal for me um, because this iPhone was my prized possession. Um, I don't know what would have been like 2008, 2009. I don't know which version of the iPhone it was, but it was still back when the, the front was white and then the back was silver and it was much smaller and it was rounded so it felt much better in your hand. Uh, it didn't have a million cameras on it, but it was still a great phone. That phone was my prized possession. And so with that phone being my prized possession, I committed to saying, hey, there's some things that I'm going to do with this phone, yet there are some things that I'm, I'm just not going to expose this phone to because it is my prized possession. So the first thing that I did was when we went to go buy the phone, they asked, do you want insurance on this phone? And I said, you betcha, I want insurance on this phone because it's my prized possession. And so I knew even though I had insurance on the phone, I wasn't going to use that as a get-out-of-jail-free card. Even though I could have done a whole bunch of silly things with that phone, potentially breaking it, I wanted the insurance, and I wasn't going to abuse that. The second thing I did was, I'm not going to go anywhere with this phone. This phone is not leaving my pocket if the case is not on the phone. I was very, that was very important to me, to always have the case on the phone, because I knew eventually we all drop our phone. We all, like, we've all done it. 
And you always have that terrifying moment of I drop my phone and you face down on the ground and you're like, oh no, is it, is it going to be cracked when I turn it over? Or you have that moment of terror. And I, I didn't want that. And so I said, I'm always going to have a case on this phone. One thing that I said I will not do with this phone, I will not expose this phone to water. I was terrified of this phone getting ruined by water. I remember going to the beach and I took a Ziploc bag and I put the phone in a Ziploc bag. And then I took the phone inside of the Ziploc bag and I put it in a towel and I wrapped the towel around it a whole bunch of times. And then I took the beach bag and I shoved the phone wrapped in the Ziploc bag, wrapped in the towel, in the bottom of the beach bag, so that way nothing could happen. Because I was so terrified that I was going to drop it in the water, or that it was going to get splashed on, or that I was going to drop it in the sand, and the sand was going to get into where you plug the charger in. I was so worried that something was going to happen to that phone, and it was my prized possession. So through this time and all of my effort to keep the phone in great condition, I knew that I had the insurance if something happened, but it was important to me to keep that phone in good condition because it was my prized possession, and because that prized possession came to me with a great cost. You are God's prized possession, and you came to Christ with a great cost. That cost was the sacrifice of Jesus' life on the cross. And through his death and through his resurrection, yes, we have forgiveness of Jesus. Yet that forgiveness is not a get-out-of-jail-free card to act however we see fit. See, we are still called to live a certain way. We're called to live as his people, loving him, loving his people, and even respecting ourselves as God's prized possession. So to make a weird connection, you all, you are the iPhone. You are the prized possession. You are the thing that came to Christ at a great cost. And so he hopes that your will will align with his and that you'll act and behave and live your life in a certain way. Now, I think it's important to pause for a moment and acknowledge this whole talk of we are the prized possession. Sometimes I don't feel like the prized possession. And it's not because Scripture tells me anything less. It's not because God is showing me anything less. It's just sometimes it's that we look at ourselves and we look at all of our, our flaws and our shortcomings and our failures and our sin, and we think, the creator of the universe calls me his prized possession? Isn't there something better? Like, there has to be something better to be his prized possession. We think, you know, I've got this stuff going on, and, and I, right now I'm just feeling damaged. Right now I'm just not feeling like I am enough. And yet, even still, God looks at you and says, no, 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 no. I know that's what you think. I know that's how you feel. But no, you are still the prized possession. So again, wouldn't it be nice if we lived in a time when God spoke more directly to his people? Wouldn't it be nice to know exactly what we're supposed to do with our lives on a day-by-day basis? Wouldn't it be nice to just know what we're supposed to do? Well, the reality is that we do. We do know what we're supposed to do with our lives. We are the prized possession. We are called to live then as that prized possession. So far, we've been talking a lot about what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6. And I want to read just one verse um, from Paul later in chapter 15. This is what he says in verse 58. He says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, 
knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. You are the prized possession. You became the prized possession at a great cost, a price that none of you could have paid on your own. And so you are called to live as the prize, being steadfast, being immovable, always abounding not in the ways of the world, but abounding then in the ways of Christ. And so now as we go to our God, we do so with with glad hearts, knowing that he has paid the price and that he has made us his prized possession, asking for his strength that we would live our lives in such a way that honors that price that he paid. And so we go to our Lord in prayer. Lord, in this present life, we easily and often confuse ourselves as to what it is that you hope for our lives to be. We look for you in the wrong places, and sometimes we fail to look for you at all. But even so, you hold us as your prize, a prize that you paid a great price to have. Help us to live as your prize, being steadfast and immovable, not in the ways of the world, but in your ways alone. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.